Hello? Hi, is this Tom DeLong from Angels and Airwaves? Yes, this is I, because I... <laughs> Stop! It's Ted Stryker from the Tuna on Toast podcast. Who? <laughs> I thought I told you never to call me here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Ever since I slept over your house and you gave me your number, you said I could call anytime. No, 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 no. My mom gave you her number. That's and right. And she said you can call her every time you want to. Did she end up getting all the hair out of that razor? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. She didn't get it out of her teeth. <laughs> <laughs> You're sick. Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called tuna on toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music, and I love those that create it. Stryker's here. Tuna on toast. Yes. Tuna on toast. Yeah. We are back for another episode. Episode number two. It is tuna on toast featuring Tom DeLong. Keep in mind, this episode... Uh, was recorded just a couple days before Mark Hoppus announced, and it was great news, Mark Hoppus announced that he was cancer-free. Um, Tom DeLong is exactly, in this interview, how you hope Tom DeLong is. He is charming and funny and smart. We get into Blink-182 and Angels and Airwaves and Boxcar Racer and just life overall. And I learned, and you will as well, so many new things about Tom. He's absolutely wonderful. And yes, he did come to my house. How did he get to my house? Uh, that's very interesting as well. You're going to hear that in just a moment. Hey, Tune on Toast is brought to you by Hammer Toyota. Out here in Southern California in Mission Hills, they're a car dealership. Eight years ago, I went there to lease a car. Next thing I know, we start working together. They are the absolute best. They're like no other car dealership you're going to find. You could be walking down the halls at Hammer, and like System of a Down is blasting out of one office. Another office is 21 Pilots blasting. Johnny is the general sales manager. He's become a very good friend. They are extremely serious about making sure that the customer is happy. And this big company, Hammer Toyota, jumped on board this independent podcast before episode one. HammerToyota.com. Check them out. H-A-M-E-R, HammerToyota.com. Man, I don't want to do this, but I feel like I have to. Just before I did this podcast, Woody Harrelson was in the news. He got into a scuffle at a hotel. I don't know whose fault it is. We'll find out those details at some point. I wasn't going to share the story of how I picked up Woody Harrelson hitchhiking. I thought I was done with that. But many, I've got a lot of texts and DMs on Instagram. Stryker, mention the story. Some of you I know have never heard of me. You're here for the Tom DeLong interview. And some of you that do know me, thank you for the support over so many years. You may not know the story. And let me just get to it. I picked up Woody Harrelson hitchhiking. It was unbelievable. It was so fun. Here's what happened. I was driving on Fairfax, a street in Southern California, that if you get on Fairfax, somewhere near the airport, La Cienega, then it hits Fairfax, like Culver City, you can get to Hollywood. So I'm on Fairfax heading north towards Hollywood. It's 8.30 at night. My friend Larry is in the car. So this is a real story. I have receipts on this. Larry's in the car. We're going north on Fairfax. It's dark. It's sprinkling outside. We're about a block and a half away from the farmer's market, which is at Fairfax and Third. So we're driving. I'm, I'm driving. Larry's in the passenger seat. And I see this guy in traffic hitchhiking in the rain with a woman. And I said, Larry, what is this guy doing? Right when we pull up next to the person hitchhiking, the traffic stops. I look and I think it's Woody Harrelson. I roll down the window and I don't even know for sure if it's him, but I'm like, hey, you want to get in? He said, yes. 
Woody Harrelson and the person he was with, a female, got in the backseat of my car and they're just sitting there and we're not moving because it's LA traffic. And I don't even turn around. I'm in the, using the rear view mirror. I'm like, what's going on? What can we do for you? And Woody said they ran out of gas. And could I take him to a gas station to see if they had one of those red gas cans, fill it up and then take him back to where his car had run out of gas. We're driving on Fairfax, me, Larry, and Woody Harrelson and the person he was with. He's asking me a few questions about life. And I'm about after a mile and a half drive, I'm like, oh, there's a gas station, Woody. He said, we can't go to that gas station. Why not? Exxon, Exxon Valdez, I can't support them. So we continued driving. I didn't care. I was just happy Woody Harrelson was in the car. Eventually we got to a gas station. They had a red gas can there. He filled it up. He got back in the car. And now we get all the way back to Fairfax, go south on Fairfax. And I drop Woody off. And the last thing he said to me, you're going to have great karma. You've got a good spirit. He closed the door. He was on his way. And uh, I've never had a conversation with them about that since. That's my Woody Harrelson hitchhiking story. And by the way, I was picked up hitchhiking by a celebrity in the 80s. And it was by, what's her name? Um, uh, the late, great Cloris Leachman. But we'll get into that another time. All right. All right. Sit back, relax, enjoy. Here he is, Tom DeLong. Yeah, this is your first time on microphone. I'm nervous for you. <laughs> I hope you do okay. Thank you. Tom DeLong is at my freaking house. I know. This is awesome. I feel like, you know, shit, I haven't seen you in a while. But I every know. time I see you, I'm like, hey, again. Yeah. It's me. I miss you. And I think about you. And I follow everything you're doing. And obviously, as you know, I love all the music that you create. And we've you walked in the house just a couple minutes ago. But we didn't miss a beat. No, no. We just picked your right. And I was commenting. You got a blink plaque up there, which yes. is bitching. Thanks, it's the only man. plaque in here, which you could have many. So I'm very thankful that you have that ours blink there. plaque has lived there for many, many, many years. It's the previous owner of the house. It's not even <laughs> yours. Yeah. No. Yeah. Tom, you mentioned the Jordans back here. Saying so and then you can move to the Swiss Alps. That was my comment. But Tom, there's one problem with the Air Jordan sitting behind me. And you can see this interview on YouTube, by the way. I don't own 100%. I only own 50% of those shoes because way many, 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 many years ago, at the Tucson Mall, my friend Chris Wilcox and I, we didn't have a ton of money, so we split the Air Jordans. Wait, like, you guys shared shoes? Yes. See, this is cute. <laughs> this is like cute friendship. This is great. I've never heard of such a thing. When we parted ways, not romantically, we're still friends, but he moved to the East Coast and I'm here on the West Coast. I ended up having both shoes that month because we would trade back and forth every month. Yeah. That's really funny because you used to get like beat up for having shoes that, that expensive and gnarly. Like, you know, remember hearing those stories? Yeah, man. So you guys wanted to trace, like, who can get beat up? Well, I want to get beat up, too. <laughs> I want to get hijacked for my shoes. Those things are like, I mean, my son is so into, like, the dunks and all that oh, stuff. Oh, is that right? Dude, they're so gnarly. Like, Does he go on the sneakers app and the whole all thing? That shit. Yeah, so, like, the other day, like, these, these uh, there's a dope limited edition that came out at very specific skate shops because they're doing dunks at, like, Nike SB skateboarding. Yeah, yeah. And so we had to go and fill out this lottery thing raffle at our local skate shop and he got him he's all stoked he's running them like he got a new ferrari you know like he's just like Good check these like him. zebra print you know it's just cool I that's mean, cool it's just cool and uh, how old is he he's 15 so he knows what the hell is going on in life he's already like over supreme he's just like ah, uh. you know <laughs> i'm just like 
oh, okay, they're not cool. Like all of a sudden, you know. Oh my God. Yeah, he's funny. Um, Life Forms is out as we sit here today. It's been out just a few days. Congratulations on this unbelievable collection of songs. And it was like six or seven years between the albums. It yeah. takes a long time to come up with any idea. No, but <laughs> you do a lot of tinkering, right? I do. Yeah. yeah. So when you got to the finish line, was it somebody that you work with that said, enough is enough. Give us... Because you released quite a few songs before the official release, yeah. but did you? Was it hard to get rid of them and say, "Okay, let's get them out there"? Well, God, it's like never really done because you can constantly like as soon as you've had enough time to think about a song, then you kind of get bored of it by the time you've thought about it a lot, and then you're like, "Ah, oh, course could be better. Let's try something else," you Whoa. know. And so, in that kind of reasoning, you're like never really done. But for me, I'm just so busy. And I started this record about the time that I was getting uh, to the stars. My company was in full swing and all these people from the government were joining it. And we had all these things we were doing. And I was like, shit, if I really want to make this record, I have to like start now. And I, and I only get a day or two a week for a few hours at a time. And so that's why it really took like three hours. But I think if you really condensed it into like a real, if it was my only job and I was really in the studio every day, it's probably it's probably like a year or something, which would be on par of like some of the stuff that Blink did or, or whatever other angels, most angels records have taken me a year or so. But a lot of that was like trying to discover like who I was and how to do it and whatever. Right. But this one, yeah. So off and on. And then the, um, and then we were just about done. And then uh, I don't know if you heard, but there's like a virus that got out. Somehow. I did hear about that. And a lot of yes. people got sick. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. I do know. Okay. About so that, a lot of people don't sure. know this, but in any case uh, that got, that happened. So we were like, we released a song or two and then Rebel a, Girl. Was that before yeah. the pandemic started? Yeah. I love Rebel Girl, it's just a so good you song. Know. Great yeah. song. Thank you. Great. Um, and so we were like, we put this basically I went through a divorce and it was like tragic. And I had to read to kind of rediscover who I was. Sorry. Yeah. And um I get back to my roots, skateboarding and punk rock. And so I went on tour and it was epic. It was like really awesome. And so I uh we were gonna release the record, release the song, and then the pandemic hit. And then I was like, okay, so now we have another year and a half of like what to do what changed all our plans went back in the studio so let's just keep working on this and then i when had you say working on this starter is it the songs that were already created yeah. based on your life experiences through the previous months or yeah year? so okay. i thought base i would have released the record with rebel girl and stuff but because nothing was happening for the for the foreseeable future we were like well let's just make the record better how do we make it better so revisiting each song and redoing things and changing things and and maybe scrapped one of them and put a different one in there and just go, this, this could be something really special, you know? And by the time it got finished, you know, cause that was cool because I was working on it. Right. Then when I'm tour, came back, Oh my God, this band's bigger than I'd even knew. I was like putting out independent releases, but I had no way of charting the growth. I had yeah. no clue. And so, so I went on tour. I was like, Oh my God, whatever. And I come back and then we said, let's go make the movie that goes with it. You know? And we went out and made a movie called monsters, California, but that's not out yet. Right. No, it's not out yet, but it's done. Is it's, it? It's, uh, it's in post. So we're uh, doing all like, we're about to start all the visual effects. Yeah. So we scored it and you scored it as angels and airwaves. Yeah. Right. And you directed the full length, this full length feature. Yeah. It's crazy. That's yeah. a lot to take on. It Tom. is a lot. Uh, but it's what I always said. Angels was going to do just a little late work with me. <laughs> Shit's hard. Like 15 years ago, I'm like, we're an art project. We're going to do these things where it's like publishing and, and film and music. And everyone's like, you're high. And I was like, maybe, but I'm trying it. And then, uh, then I realized this shit's really hard to do. <laughs> and, um, but this is like the first time it's like really gelling. And so then I, so being like doing the record, going on tour, Oh my God, I'm inspired. Go to the movie. Holy shit. I'm really inspired. Yeah. And so it really like created this three year journey 
where I was able to probably create the best record of my life. If not, I'm not saying for other people, because a lot of people grow up and they're like, oh, that Blink record was like when I was in high school and this and that. Even we, Boxcar Racer, Boxcar Racer, which is coming up in like 20 years old, people are like, Box, that Boxcar Racer yeah. album really uh, inspired me. That one, that's, I hear that shit. Like, I, I don't know what it was, but um, it, that just worked for the time period. It still works now, I guess, but. um, We're going to get to that. Yeah. So, but here I am, like. It's like kind of all gelling, you know, I feel more comfortable in my own skin now Good than I ever for have. You, Tom. The way you start out the album, the song Time Bomb, then you go Euphoria, Spellbound. How do you remember this? I just have a good memory and I love the album, but like a lot of great thought, it seems like, went into the presentation of these songs, Tom. Yeah, and like, it's funny. So, so this whole project that I'm doing is really about consciousness. And it's really... For me, to, I, what I thought would be really cool is to kind of revisit my roots, celebrate the bands I grew up on, celebrate the bands I was in. And even the movie is about these skateboarders obsessed with the paranormal. So it's very autobiographical, all the dick jokes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> the record works because like, you know, like Spellbound was like me going, fucking love Depeche Mode. It sounds like Depeche. It totally does. Don't it tell sounds them. like a little Cure in the album as well on, a couple times. Yeah, the Cure on Automatic. It was like, I the love song. the song Automatic. Yeah. Wow. So um, Time Bomb was like my version of where Blink would go. You know, a little progressive pop punk and Euphoria was like Boxcar Racer, post-hardcore stuff and um, right. the quicksands of the world and Fugazi and all that kind of stuff. So I... um. I really just made a record for myself. Like I want to, I want to like very intentionally celebrate the shit that you used to play on K Rock back in the day all the time right. when we all were growing the time. up. Yes. So uh, yes. this record's just reflective of that for me. And it's it's really really good and it's no BS. And I know other people really really love it. I can see like people that review music and I don't know who these people are, but Kevin and Greg, <laughs> they're so impressed with the album. Does that affect you at all? Because I'm sure maybe someone in the past said. Tom DeLonge doesn't know what he's doing. He's totally crazy. Never. But now they're like, listen to the layers in these songs. Listen to the build. Listen to these lyrics. He's talking about real things in life, politics and guns, et cetera, and then his own stuff. How yeah. does that make you feel? It's interesting. Like, I've had to operate on the fringe for so long because people don't really understand me. Like, they didn't understand why I quit Blink in the first place. They don't understand why I'm out chasing aliens, like they used to say. Then they didn't understand why I was saying I was working with people from the U.S. government. And then, but each time they kind of are slowly finding out that I'm just, I'm, I'm very forward thinking and, and I've had to accept that people don't understand me. So even with my art, like I make an album, I'm kind of like, I don't know if people are going to get it or not, but this is what speaks to me. But I think at this point, people have finally realized after the government came out and did all these things yes. and said all these things, like they're going, maybe he's not nuts. Maybe we should listen to Some this. Some of these videos that were declassified and all the information, yeah. you have been speaking of this for many, many years. We brought them out. Our company brought those videos out. Wow. We, our company set up all the briefings in Congress. We hired the head of the UFO program. I founded the company with a, one of the heads of CIA and the head physicist of the UFO program. I mean, so I, I'm in this, we're in a contract with the government right now with the U S army on a piece of wreckage from, uh, from a craft of unknown origin. Um, where was this craft found? The chain of title only goes back a handful of years, but it's purported to be somewhere in New Mexico in the late forties. Okay. And there's a few crashes that are of legend back then. I do not believe this has anything to do with Roswell, but there's no way to say that for sure. Um, uh, but there was a few crashes in that area, and this could have been from one. The legend was that the guy that was there at the cleanup grabbed this piece. But the thing is, 
It's metamaterials. It's highly engineered. It's got 86 layers of different elements. Uh, we think that uh, it might do something really interesting with certain frequencies. Um, so in any case, um, we, we, yeah, we're You're working directly with the government on that to investigate this, built this, this what this is right. and what it does. Yeah. I have a uh, serious question. All these que uh, questions I ask you are serious, but has the government not released a lot of the information because they're afraid of potential panic or is there another reason behind it? I think there's a lot of reasons. I mean, usually when they keep things secret, it's because it, it could, um, it could show the world, the people we don't want to hear vulnerabilities in our defenses. Uh, maybe it's something really embarrassing to the United States and, and decreases our standing in the world. Um, maybe it's something else that is um, of such high degree of danger that should we bring it out or whatever, it could, it could really uh, give people an edge over something that, that we don't want them to have an edge with. But on this subject, it also comes in line with like, you know, you can't decouple what the UAP phenomenon is with the hardware, with everything. You can't just come out and say like, you know, hey, we know these are real specifically because of X, Y, and Z. And then people say, well, what is X, Y, and Z? And they say, well, we can't talk about the Y part or the Z part. <laughs> you know, we can talk about the X part, but they're all tied together. But the other thing is, is you're dealing with technologies here that are so insanely advanced. That's what I have learned over the last six months. I think they call it like the Tic Tac one that was ping pong in here, left, yeah. down, up, maybe even in the water and out of the water. Is that some technology you're referring yeah, to right there? Yeah, it's transmedium travel. You have something creating basically. What the hell is that? Basically, the um, space universe is a fabric. Think of like a, 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 you're holding a brick in your hand, like a sponge. Okay. And you can pull and bend on that sponge, but it's literally like a dense material, right? Well, the fabric of space-time is kind of like that. And these things, the evidence seems to suggest that they're displacing that fabric like a submarine does in the ocean, and they can materialize in and out of time. And it gets really complicated. But this is the other thing. We're not the only smart people in the world. You know, Russia has some really smart people, you know. Um, China has some really smart people and we're not all right. getting along. So if we were to let them know what we know, if we knew anything, <laughs> <laughs> then um, that could go cause them to say, we got better shit than you got. You know, so we, it's like you don't want to tell each other what you got, what you understand, what you figured out. Um, and so we're saying here, just tell us that it's real. They're saying, well, if we do then you're going to ask how we know that. And then that leads into places we just can't discuss at this moment. And it has nothing to really do with the fact that we can't handle it, or maybe we can, or this or that. It has more to do with potentially where, you know, whatever we're studying, you know, we, in what we've learned, we're not only trying to keep it away from like adversaries here, maybe we're trying to keep it away from adversaries up there. You know, it's like, it's, it's crazy. It has nothing to do with you and I. Yes. Is that of what's the most important piece of this. So I think we just have to give a lot of credit to our friends in the government that are normal dudes like you and I, but they're not sleeping at night, you know, and they're very stressed out. And this isn't um like, hey, you know, they're just trying to keep it from us for money and oil money. And it's like so much bigger than that. It's literally a nuclear weapon across the world in 30 seconds, ball of light, boom. Yeah, I mean, there's no defense against figuring this shit out. It's crazy. One more thing, and then we'll move on. I want to get back to the music. There's two things. What do you get out of this? Like, what 
inside your body when these things are happening and you're getting some validation for many of the things that you brought up like how does this make you feel is this is this like a driving force like look i'm not crazy tom i was right I, what i've been saying um contribution to changing the world like i literally feel like i changed the world like i really feel that and and um i didn't do it alone but i definitely started it and um and it's not like i i i'm any more special or in any way than all the people that have come for decades and decades and decades have been studying this stuff that i've stood on their shoulders you know but really what I was able to achieve was putting together a vehicle that can help bring about this discussion and break it out of, break it out of the basement. And, um, this is like, I remember when I was in high school, I wanted to be a firefighter. Okay. Until they made me do pushups. I was like, this is fucking <laughs> stupid. Why the fuck do I have to do pushups? Um, I was a little skateboarder with like blue hair. And, um, so I, um, I remember the learning, like when you fight a fire, you don't spray the water at the fire, you spray it at the fuel. Okay. That's kind of the thing. Um, but what that really taught me was like, you know, the root of all the problems on earth, the fuel of it could be uh, potentially um, related to the subject. And this subject could be the missing component for us to understand how we ended up the way we ended up. Not only genetically, belief systems, um, different types of cultures and the way we look and the way we think and what we're predisposed to to think and believe and act the way we act. And, um, and I think that like, this is the fuel. This is like, if we attack this subject, it opens up the door to understand who we are, where we're going, what we're capable of, because it deals with consciousness. Now people kind of go like UFOs, like what does that do with consciousness? Well, as my partner, Jim from the agency always says, it's like UFOs have something to do with the border border between consciousness and quantum mechanics. And what that really means is reality infinitely is happening at one moment, past, present, future. There is no linear time. It's all parallel. Whoa, and that's okay. physics. All right. Which means with the right machinery, you can navigate backwards and forwards in time. Or you can meditate and do the same thing. And so what gets really interesting quick is once we learn what they are, what they're doing, and how they're different from us, potentially, then we start to understand, whoa, we're pretty powerful. We're, this is really like big boy stuff where right. we have the potential to understand how we create reality. Like consciousness controls matter and no mind over matter. That's where that comes from, but that's like physics. So I believe by doing all this, bringing about a discussion of discovering what these are yes. really opens the door to discussing. We discovered consciousness and how does that apply to us? Wow. And once we do that game on. What you just said, I don't know if it made sense to you guys. What I get it. I mm -hmm. understand. Seriously, I'm totally locked in. Good. Life forms the album. How collaborative uh, was this with your bandmates? And by the way, I'm very happy David is with you, and then Elon, and your bass player is Matt. Matt. Yep. 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 Super collaborative. Um, primarily the way it works. So, um, Elon and his brother Aaron are like my primary teammates and then the other guys come in and out. But the way it usually works is like, I spent a long time with Aaron, our co-producer, Alon's brother, and we're crafting kind of like, we're like drawing the house that we want to build, okay. you know? Yeah. But then um, Alon comes in as like an architect and says, well, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. You know, cause he's this master musician and, and he kind of redraws it and starts building the structure for it or whatever. And, and goddamn, you have had work with some great drummers in your life. Oh I know well, after you work with Travis, it's like, it's really hard to not like be with like a guy because it's funny. Like the live show is, 
you got all these things happening really, but if the drum drummer's good, that takes up like 60% of the sound coming out of the speakers, you know? And, uh, and so I really learned that quickly with Travis. Like we can really suck as long as the drummer's good, you know? (laughs) And are you guys in the same room most of the time or are you doing zoom or sending it back and forth? Aaron and I are in the same room all the time. Alon is up here in Los Angeles because I live in San Diego and, uh, and he's got studio and we pass things back and forth, get on FaceTime, do things like that. Okay. All right. Uh, you're going to be playing the Palladium here in LA. A couple shows. The tour starts in just a few days. As we do this today, you're Excuse playing Kimmel me. after this, huh? The tour fucking starts tomorrow. Tomorrow. Do I look ready? Do I know? Does there's there a ready? I mean, your eyes really match your hat and shirt. It's just drab. You look good. No, <laughs> drab and like. <laughs> well, I'm trying. This Red Bull's helping a little bit, though. Good. Beat beat the traffic into submission on my motorcycle today. <laughs> 1995, 97, Cheshire Cat, uh, Dude Ranch, Enema of the State, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, then the Blink record. Which, by the way, I have friends just now getting that title, the Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. No. Like, I'm sure you got it right away. Most people, though, they're like, what does that mean? Take off your pants and belt? They don't get it. Yeah. (laughs) I remember, and I think you told me this, you like, it was between Take Off Your Pants and Jacket and the Diarrhea of Anne Frank. I was one of them. (laughs) There's also Diarrhea de Janeiro. (laughs) <laughs> and vasectomy, vasectomy, you. My question is, and I didn't understand this back at that time. Of course, if you're in a musician, if you're a musician, you're doing well. It's fun as hell. But there is a lot of work that goes into it, from the touring, creating, getting along with the team of people. You guys were going every two freaking years, man. Yeah, every two years, and it did not stop. And people, whether it's a radio station in the middle of nowhere, tugging at you to come by playing radio shows, your own tour, maintaining relationships. Looking back, do you wish you would spread it out as a team a little more? Or was that the thing to do then? It's hard to say that's the thing to do then. And I remember being lost in the cycle of every album feels like it's your last because you don't really, you don't trust, you don't believe that it's, well, it's, it's art. You know, you're only as good as your newest idea. Uh, um, As you know, the entertainment industry can change on a dime. And it's like, you know, 80s rock bands were great until Nirvana showed up, you know, and um, with Blink, you know, we all, everyone, you all come from such modest places. So when you're at a place that's successful, it's pretty scary. You're like, we don't want to fuck this up. And so you don't want to ever take a break. You want to keep trying, trying, trying. You're so scared to lose it. And it does beat you down. You know, I remember when I first quit the band, it was, you know, we, we had our record out and like my daughter was two years old, but I was gone for all two years of that you know, and they were starting right back up again. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I snapped. Um, my family wasn't able to keep up with that, you know, and I think a lot of people are like that. Um, but also at that time, the only way to be a band was that way. Now it's like, oh my God, you got all this digital shit, you know, you can make right. short films, pay-per-view events. I mean, there's so many things yes. you could do now that's different. But back then it's like you, you, people can't get your songs on Spotify or something. So you have to go, play the radio show and if you don't someone else will you know and so you're constantly battling like taking a break for your sanity so it's hard for you as a person a creator who comes from a certain background to say no because you believe if you said no someone will stop asking yeah absolutely yeah yeah. and that's how i think that's kind of how we all work in the entertainment industry unfortunately right um you know but i've also learned that you know if you create art and you, and you, and you do it really well and you, you do it with the right intention and you stick with it, it, it will come to you. It will find its place and it will work. It might not be what you thought, or it might not be giant really quickly, 
Um, but it will work. And uh, I just think our, I think we're all so consumed and I understand why we're all consumed with being really big. We're all consumed with like being a huge success, but what's successful about being really exhausted and away from your family and not getting along with your bandmates and not having a real life, you know, to somebody that has a smaller house doing art that they really love, but they're with their kids in the park every day laughing, go, which one's successful, you know? Right. So I think it's really one of those things where we have to kind of keep doing these checks on our, on our heart, like what's best for us as a human being. I ask you this question just based on my own super little small bubble that I'm in. Like time to me now is more important than anything. Yeah. Having like an hour just to like go like this and crack open like a seven up and make a Shirley Temple and watch some TV or Shirley a movie. Temple. I, I love good. Shirley Temple. Yeah, we all do, but we don't really say that on air. I don't understand. You just I'll threw that out there. I'll feed you a maraschino cherry later if you want. Do you know what I had last night? What? A white claw surge. You, <laughs> have you heard about these? I know what a white claw is, but what's a white claw surge? It's like just like, it's like the man's version of a white claw. Okay. It's got a little bit more alcohol. It's like 8%. Yeah. I don't know. Did you feel good after well, it? Well, yeah. And you open it up. It's like a fucking bear growling. <laughs> Rawr. <laughs> I'm curious. So wait, when you you're here in my house, did you ride a motorcycle here? Go Uber a car? Yeah, but wait, which one? Oh, oh motorcycle. You ordered a motorcycle but here. The fucking tr trip up this mountain range. It was like the. It was like I'm, miles. Were of, you like, what the fuck am I doing? Is that going the to only way house? here? I no, was, there's a couple ways to get here. Dude, the way I it brought me was like, dude, am I in Afghanistan <laughs> right now? Like this is the gnarliest. Like. Turny so, little road. Isn't it peaceful once you're here though? It was. I, I actually, like, it was so twisty. I was pretty much in first gear, but I was listening to John Prine. I don't know if you like oh, yeah. John. Oh, yeah. Folk. Yeah. Yeah. Rest his soul. Yeah. Um, and I'm such an idiot. You know, it's funny. Like, he's so incredible. And I saw Kevin Bacon and his wife doing um, Clay Pigeons, a cover he did at Blaze Foley, but um, on Instagram when he passed away from COVID or something. And I was like, who, why are they sell? Why are these, you know? And I looked it up and I, oh, I heard some of these songs. And now I'm like, Huge Prine fan. So on the way up to your house, yes. listening to John Prine, first gear, just kind of cruising and, and showed up wonderfully handsome. You did. And right on time. And now we got some energy. To in the you. minute, brother. Yeah, I know. So and then so last night, do you are, do you guys watch in your household? Are you watching any TV shows? Are you just focused on are you looking at the tour dates which start tomorrow? Like well, what did you do last night? Last night was production rehearsals. So we had all of our big lights and our big stage and all that kind of shit set up. And um had to go through all the songs, approve all the lighting cues, see if I want to stick my butt out more, twist my <laughs> hips, wear tighter clothes. All those decisions come into play. Did you watch any shows over the last year with your wife that you're like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm locked? And you have, if, if you like, you don't watch it at the same time, it's almost like cheating. Do you have any other shows? <laughs> you know, no, we, we did watch a bunch of shows. I mean, obviously, you know, it's like the White Lotus is a bitching show. Yes. Um, <laughs> the one about the, the Tiger King is bitching, you know, yep. there's a lot of things like that. Um, I tend to watch movies only um, because I just love film that way. I love these kind of contained stories. Is there a certain kind of movie that you watch or you, oh, if you hear something's good or something pops up, you're like, oh, I'm going to check this out. I get pretty bored with normal dramas and stuff because, you know, they call them these walk and talks, you know, where you're just filming a person talking and walking. I'm like, where's like the robots and where's the big alien spaceships? Mm. But a lot of those big robot alien spaceship movies kind of suck too. So I'm always on the hunt for something that's visually arresting that has a pace that really kind of go, Whoa, this is interesting. And it has a clever story. Um, and so, you know, I'm a big fan of like Chris Nolan for that reason. Is, is he your that guy's obviously unbelievable. So good, is yeah. he at the top of your list? Like you like Quentin yeah. Tarantino films? You, you want to hear a funny story about Nolan? Yes. Okay. So I was at Warner brothers lot 
and I was doing something with one of my films, something, um, pitching something probably. And I'm walking down this hallway and I see his production company, Sync Copy, like their like production logo. I was like, oh, fuck. It's like Nolan's company. And I'm like, all right. So I walk in there and there's like this one intern chick sitting there. <laughs> this is funny. I walk up them all. This is going to sound weird, but my name's Tom DeLong. You may or may not know me or more my band Blink. Okay. Throwing names out there. Any case, I'm working with some people in the government and I got some crazy shit going on. And I know it's going to probably freak you out. I'm not trying to, but I respect the time here. And she's just looking at me and I don't really know how to <laughs> say this. A, but she says, Sir, if you're trying to get the part, then do your monologue over yeah, there. Yeah, totally. They're all like, we're not casting right now, idiot. I was like, oh, no, no. So then I say this stuff. I'm like, look, here's, um, here's my email. Just want you to pass it on to the boys and say, like, I got some people that would love to sit with them and tell them some shit. Okay. Um, so I left. That was it. So I'm leaving. Like two hours later, I get a call from my film agent. He goes, what the fuck did you do? I'm like, what are you talking about? Go, Dude, you, you went into Nolan's office and they had to grab you and escort you off the lot. <laughs> that, that was the rumor. No. I swear to God. And I was like, no, I left it on my own fucking will. You know? I didn't know I didn't get in trouble, but that was this whole thing. And then um, about like six months later, yes. I go down and I'm having a meeting with like a writer, a writer director guy. And um, as I'm sitting with him, Nolan walks right by the window. And I go, holy shit, I'll be right back. And because in my motorcycle, same one, yeah. I had all these pamphlets that we made. We did a really big briefing at CIA. Like, I wasn't even able to go. I mean, I run the company, but I don't have the security clearances for that. Okay. So my guys went, uh, just whatever. So the pamphlet kind of really talked about our company and all the things we're doing. And they were made specifically for the, the briefing at the agency. And, um, but I had some of those pamphlets with me. So I, I ran out and I said, hey, I stopped by your office one day. It's crazy. <laughs> Take this. You went right up to him now. You're face yeah, to yeah. face. Yeah, I'll fucking kiss him. Okay. I don't care. Like he's rad, you know. Yes. Um, but um, I didn't kiss him. But I gave him the pamphlet. Uh, I didn't hear anything back. He must be just tripping. He's like, "This, what the fuck is this guy? Who is this guy? Who?" So he looks up, blink, and it's like we're naked. Our dicks are out. Who right. knows what he thinks? He's yes. like, "This guy." What's my age again? Video. Yeah, it's wrong. Rock show. Yeah. Go look my band up. Wait, wait. Do not look my band up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tom, do your goals for and and. You've done six full lengths with Angels and Airwaves as the front man. You also did six full lengths with Blink. That's right. Damn, I don't know. You've done almost as much work in Angels and Airwaves as you did with Blink. I am exactly, no different, exactly like John Lennon and Paul McCartney. <laughs> there is no difference at all to the breadth of work that I've achieved. No, I don't know. I mean, I just... Uh, I do when I can, and I can't seem to fucking stop doing it. That's all I know. I cannot believe I'm still making music because so many artists that have done this are not. So I kind of go, what did I do that they didn't? Like, did I, do I just not give a fuck or am I more tuned into something that's, or am I doing it? It's like more relevant than their stuff. You know, I, I go through these in my head. Why am I still here? And so many incredible musicians aren't. Did they just give up or like? You know, I don't know. Do you think it's, of course, talent? Nope. And, I, and I've met. Don't, <laughs> no, we all it's know talent. it's not that. You know, I know there are. There's a ton of people who are so much better than me at this job. I know it. They're funnier. They're, they're quicker. They're probably more. What if you and I go into a downward spiral? And they're better than me too. And like <laughs> we just kind of well, interviews over. <laughs> but it's like the way I tick is, I'm so sad and mad at myself if I don't do a good job and if I don't prepare and it goes bad. I can't sleep for five days. I'm the same way where like, 
I just have this burn. I'm all, I can, I don't want to fuck that. I can do something good. And if you decide to do it, at least me, if I decide to do it, then I'm all in, you know, if I decide to make music, I'm like, I'll try my hardest. You know, I don't just like kind of do it or for a paycheck or do whatever, you know? And, and I feel that you're probably the same way. Like if I'm going to do this, I'm going to, I'm going to really do it well, you yeah. know, as best I can. Right. And maybe some of the people that don't end up doing it for a long time did it for the wrong reasons. So they didn't get out of it what they wanted. Maybe, I don't know. I'm not going to judge them. For, I, it's not my place, sure. but um, I wouldn't even know. But um, I am constantly trying to figure out like why I'm still here doing this. I, I, I don't know. And yourself as well. I just think, you know, you do it from the right place. You're going to find the people that you, that resonate with it. Yeah, definitely. Before you get out of here, a few more questions. I love the one and only Boxcar Racer album. Mm. And I'm so, I know you're here for Life Forms and oh, I love fine. Angel and Airwaves. Are there songs you made that were never released? Is it possible that the three of you may mm. do another box? Is it Travis and I recorded to? a new Boxcar song and it's floating out there. We did it a couple of years ago. Um, maybe this is, I think the 20th anniversary or some shit it, is like coming up. It is. Yeah. Yeah. We should put that out. Travis wanted to do it last year. When you say floating around, you mean just on your computers? Um, someone's computer. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did it. It's there. It's not floating around. It's on our two computer, our okay. phones. I don't know. It's in the fucking cloud. Um, you know, uh, Tim Cook has it somewhere, <laughs> but, uh, but yes, we are going to put this out and, uh, it's probably perfect timing now that we're, we're at that anniversary. Um, we didn't right now because I had this big release coming up and I couldn't focus on finishing it, but, um, I think that's something we need to do, um, immediately. Um, do you play or work in the way you go about your business? Is there ever like a chip on your shoulder to prove to those who may have doubted you when you left blink that oh, Tom can't go do anything. He's got all these crazy ideas. They're so huge. How is he going to make these things come to fruition? Do you constantly try to prove yourself to people who may have said that to you? Yeah. <laughs> what if that wasn't the, the answer you're going to, you're like, well, no, not at all. No, <laughs> well, maybe no. Like, no, I just do it because I <laughs> no, have fun. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, it's not like as strong of a, yeah, as I said, the truth is, is that every artist is trying to prove themselves at all times. If they say they're not, it's kind of bullshit because you're putting it out there for people to interact with. Now, not every artist is salivating over reviews and what people think. I'm like, like, you know, some people you put it out or 100% of their time is, what are people saying? I'm probably at like 15% of my time. I'm like, what are people saying? I don't <laughs> okay. know, fuck them. You know, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I'm trying to prove to myself that I'm worthy to be where I'm at. Like, I'm trying to prove that if I'm going to make an album, it's got to be better than the last, or else I don't deserve to be here and have anyone like yourself wanting to talk to me about it. So easily this 80 90 percent of it is me trying to prove that i deserve to have any of the success that i've had in my life because i listen to my older shit and i go god it could have been so much better i was lazy mm. or i thought my shit didn't stink or i thought no one had anything to offer you know or blink was like we were so wonderfully in our own bubble like if we fuck up on stage it makes the show better and like play the same songs every night because that's the easiest thing to do. And um, let's not work on harmonies for a few hours every day because who the fuck cares, you know? Um, so I look back and I go, wow, I think I was lazy, you know? And now I try to spend time on those things. Not all the time, but I try to spend time on those things and I try oh, to be better. And good for you, um, that's just me it's trying. Inspiring. Well, you know, but I... But I also have ADHD, so I'm like all over the place. I mean, I'll be working on harmonies. I'll be like, oh, shit, there's like a new UFO video somewhere. I want to go watch that. And then I'll forget. 
And then someone's like, you got to go work on your singing. And I'll be like, hold on. There's a Bigfoot book that just came out. You know, let's read about some fucking Bigfoot shit. You know, um, I just like weird things because I don't like normal. I don't want to hear about Geico and their insurance stuff. I don't want to hear about the pandemic. I don't want to hear about people's like shitty day in traffic or like too many errands to run with their kids. I want to read about like a monster in the forest that's really might be there. You know, I was like, that's wild. Like, yeah. why would you not want to hear about that? I don't want to hear about that other shit. So I'm, I'm just, I'm always torn between like make, make my art and like go into a rabbit hole stoned into like a Bigfoot book until like two in the morning, you know? Do you love the voice inside my head or are you Yed. sick? You do, do like the voice of my, how do you feel about that? It's in my new song. I have a song we just put out called losing my mind off of angels and airways. And the last core is just this voice in my yed. I actually put it in there. It's Y E A D. I love it. It's funny. Like, I get it. Like, I, I love it. And everyone goes, you know, we have a blink song called All the Small Things. I'm like, I sound like I'm fucking four years old. <laughs> all the small yeah. things. I was like, and people still celebrate. I, I get like literally four times a month, there's a cover band somewhere playing that. And someone I know filmed it and sent it to me. And it's, I go, really? Like, you know, it's, I just, it's, it's like Hanson. You know, it's like these right. kids yeah. playing the yeah, old pop. Yeah. It's funny. Like we had a lot of really cool songs in Blink. And I was just, sure. it's weird to me that that's the one like Metallica has like master of puppets. Yes. And we got that all small. <laughs> it's just like, like, you know, we had better ones than that, but, but whatever. It's the Blink songs that you made. Every time all of us hear a Blink song from any of the albums that you guys made together, we, it takes us back to a place in our life that we can instantly recollect. That's cool. And I get that. I totally, I mean, I, it doesn't mean that I'm saying, I love, I'm not saying go back. That's not, I'm just saying like, you should, I hope you're proud oh, yeah, of yeah, yeah. what you guys did. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Good, yeah. Good, good, good. And the thing I, I think what I'm proud of more than even the music is the fact that we represented Southern California, you know, like, for sure. Cause I mean, we would go to like fucking like Ireland and it looked like Braveheart or some shit. Like it's foggy <laughs> with these like Gothic churches and shit in the fog. But then there's like, a thousand kids lined up wearing like Hurley and Billabong shirts and like all the surf skate culture shit, sideways, yellow hats. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> this shit is not indigenous to this area for sure. <laughs> you know, they're freezing and it's like wet, you know, yeah. but um, we, we, uh, we were able to transport, you know, something that was very here, you know, this, all the punk bands that you guys played on K rock and all the punk bands I grew up on in the skate culture and um we brought sunshine you know with a little bit of dick joke sprinkled on it and yeah. it worked really well i always laughed and sometimes like oh my god i would see you know i'd be at the time like 32 years old i'm at the blink show i had a few cocktails in me maybe maybe one yeah no maybe like seven at the time i still have a drink every now and then and then there'd be like a 14 year old girl with her mom and you know the mom's like oh yeah we'll take you to blink with any yeah. like hey who's after their mom out there in the crowd let's make dude so we like, <laughs> we had a curtain yes and we would play the the stanley kubrick 2001 space odyssey music bum 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 and then the curtain drops and we had the big word fuck on fire right <laughs> and right at that moment we haven't started a song yet i would look out in a sea of 20 some thousand people and i would just see these moving things and i go Holy shit, those are parents dragging their kids out of the audience. And we haven't even started a song. And I'm going, fan for life, fan for life. You know, because as soon as you're, the kids are like being dragged, but their eyes are this big, right. like yeah. greatest thing ever. Like, you know, um, we were a punk rock band for seven or eight years before we ever started playing big places. 
And I'm going, we say a lot of weird shit, but like, this is tame. Go on tour with gutter mouth or the vandals or something. Oh. And like, this is nothing. Like, what do you right. think? This is right. bad. Like, Ooh, the F word, you know, but, uh, um, it's funny how controversial that scene was to the mainstream America. Cause when blink broke on radio, it's like, you know, those, those, like, especially not K rock, but like other big radio shows, like they didn't fucking, they weren't expecting the amount of bad words we brought to the table, you know, but to oh, us, we're like, well, that's fun. just what we do. What we, you know, you don't want us here. You know, we didn't understand, but uh, we had fun with it though. It's talking to, um, Tom Morello two days ago. He said they got signed. Rage did after two shows. Really, two shows. Well, and I'm like, did you have to go on a office and like play songs? It should have been of- one show, honestly. <laughs> right, should have been one show. But um, just quickly, what were you doing, and how did it finally become so official? So we, you know, there's I basically there was a record label called Cargo Records that was all these really core grungy punk bands that were super super cool. They all like worship Fugazi. Is like drive like Jehu and rocket from the crypt and all these like kind of things. But, but the son of the label owner, like blink, we were like this little local band that were on something. And he came in and told his dad, I want to sign this band. And this dad made a bet with him that we would never sell more than 3000 albums, 3000, 3000. And, um, and we did. And then went like really big. We became by far the biggest thing on that label. And then universal bought, them as a they were just buying up labels at the time and so when they did that they would go to a few of the bands on the roster and offer them a major deal and they offered us one and uh, and we went with it um and then i remember we recorded our first major label album it was, it was a record called dude ranch and we yes. had the song damn it on yes. there yes and i'm um, our and our guy pulled everyone from the entire music group at universal to come to the this lobby and play the album for like 70 people that worked there they hit play and by the third song everyone left literally everyone left and it was just us three with like our a and r guy and we were laughing so hard we're like oh we we fucking knew we were fish out of water because we were like epitaph records fat records like you know all these like punk rock places Fred gerwitz and fat mike yeah exactly so that made sense to us so we knew if we go to the dark side we're kind of on our own you know (laughs) and so it didn't surprise us at all um, we, we, we thought it was pretty fucking funny, you know, like we, we were very aware that right. we didn't fit in with like all the weird shit they were putting I'm out. I'm so glad it happened. Know? I'm so glad it was, someone had your back and the music speaks for itself. Have you talked to Mark at all recently? All the time. Yeah. Really? Yeah. You, I, lately I've been so busy cause the tour started, but I usually talk to him a couple times a day. You if do? Not, yeah. Yeah. Dude. So he, he, his first round of chemo ate away every piece of cancer, not just like a little bit, like literally like fucking gone and it was like beyond miraculous then he had to do another round just for safety kind of thing and then he goes in in the next couple of days for another scan to make sure it's all still cool oh, so he's not like i tell people it's not like it's, no one would be leaping for joy oh, i'm you know this or that but he's doing well everyone's in good spirits everyone's expecting like him to be clear and healing and healthy uh we'll find we'll know more in a few days but um you see it's, yourself having a cup of coffee with him at some point? Oh, yeah. I, I see myself inside him, <laughs> kissing him. No, no. I mean, him and I are, are doing really well. It's been, a, yeah. um, it's been wonderful to connect with him. Tragic over something like this. But these are the things that bring souls together. These are the things that really matter. You know, they show you what doesn't matter, you know. And um, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to help repair that friendship with him. Um, but I'm really obviously like 
no one's thankful that he had to go through this. Obviously it's like, that's, it's been tough on him as as it is on everyone that does this stuff. It's nice to hear that this horrible thing brought you guys together and your text. There is like a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, um, throughout this tragic kind of journey for him. Wow. And on that note, let's wrap it. (laughs) Tom, I can't thank you enough for being on the show, man. And coming here and thanks for all the music and everything you've created. And you just like, you get in front of everything and you're a great leader and a a really, really cool dude, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. I just tell people do like take some risks in life and put yourself out there and, and just stop giving a fuck what people think mm. and follow it's your heart. hard to do, though. So hard Tom, to do. that's so hard to do. It is. Do you have any tips on how we can say, like, the comments we get online, we can just say, fuck it, I don't care. I'm yeah, I remember, like, I got a bad review the other day, and I was talking to one of my kids about it, and I was like, you know, I work on this thing for three years, and it's, like, kind of the best, or if not one of the best records ever made, and it was crazy. And then this one guy goes, yeah, it sucks, you know, or something. And I go, okay, so I can take that, and go, oh my God, oh fuck, you know, freak the fuck out. Or I can really dig into that and kind of go, okay, who is this dude? Okay, it's some dude named fucking Kevin. Why do I give a, who the fuck is he? Like, what? Like, he said something and he's printed right. in some paper, like, but it, Kevin doesn't like your music. You know, it's like, who the fuck is what he's living in fucking Pocatello, Idaho, and he's writing from an apartment <laughs> and somehow what he likes the color blue and you did green. So green sucks. You know what I'm saying? And I think, that's really how you have to look at things. You got to do things. And when anybody, nobody is an authority on art. Nobody. Right, right. Like, you know, that's why people paint pictures that are all over. That's what Rothko paints, bo- painted boxes of color. Here's a blue box and here's a red box. And everyone's like, oh, $8 million for that painting of fucking a red square. Uh, it, it just, it's all subjective. So, um, I think people just need to realize that when you get stuck in worrying about what people think, you've then left your own journey. You've completely left it. You've gotten out of your car and you've got sat in somebody else's car and go, what do you think of the way I'm driving? You know, it's like, who the fuck cares? You got to get back in your car, go over the center divider, take out a couple trees, but get to your fucking destination. It's great advice, man. Thank you. All right. Life forms is the album angels and airwaves. Find them on the road. He is Tom DeLong, and I'm Stryker. Thank you. Thanks, boss. See you guys later. Hopefully that was somewhat harmless and fun. Fuck yeah. That's another episode of Stryker's Tuna on Toast. Promise, it'll get better. Most likely. For sure. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> is Tom DeLong great or what? I mean, I was like a 5 out of 10. He was a 10 out of 10, so he carried me. Oh, man, that was fun. I feel so enthused. Thank you for being part of Tuna on Toast. You can watch the interview that I just did. All the interviews are on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, Tuna on Toast with Stryker. It's very easy to find. If you do have a chance to rate this podcast and a friendly review, I would also appreciate it. You know, my two favorite podcasts, I didn't find them until they were 50 episodes in. You're on board early with me. Drinks for free for everybody. Okay, drinks not included. I can't afford that yet. We got to get some more sponsors, but that'll happen eventually. All right, that's it. Have a great day. Have a great night. I am Stryker. Happy snuggles. Bye-bye.